This episode is brought to you by Charles Schwab. Decisions made in Washington can affect your portfolio every day. Washington Wise from Charles Schwab is an original podcast that unpacks the stories making news there. Listen at schwab.com slash Washington Wise. Coming up, it's hard to believe, but Jagged Little Pill, Alanis Morissette's landmark album, is 20 years old. We'll talk to Alanis about the legacy of her best-selling album. Updates on arts and entertainment, interviews with celebrities and marquee guests. This is WSJ Speakeasy. It's like Hey, this is Christopher John Farley, a senior editor at the Wall Street Journal. Well, it's hard to believe, but Jagged Little Pill is 20 years old. Alanis Morissette's landmark album sold 16 million copies in the U.S., 33 million copies worldwide, and being re-released in a new four-disc set. Alanis Morissette is joining us here at the Journal on the phone to talk about the album. Alanis, thanks for calling in. <laughs> thanks for having How's it going? Well, you know, it's hard to believe, but the album is 20 years old. It lasts, it's lasted two decades. It's going to last even longer. But you wrote a lot of these songs really quickly. The creativity struck you, and just in a flash, some of these songs came out. Tell me a bit about how quick the writing process was for some of these tracks. Well, the process is, was shocking at first. It's now become something that I rely on. But um, But when... Glenn, Glenn Ballard and I, we collaborated on the writing of it. We were writing music and lyrics together to begin with. So we wrote a bunch of songs that are on the deluxe um, the deluxe collector's package that we have releasing now to honor the 20-year anniversary. So we have those demos on there. And then the last one we wrote together was Ironic. And then I wrote a song called Perfect in about 20 minutes with him. And it's when I started writing very hyper-autobiographically. And um, the music Glenn and I would write together, and then the lyrics would come through at the same time. And it was a really fast process to the point where I would turn to Glenn and my eyes would be wide and I would just, you know, I would almost be shocked by the process. And now it's now it's become something that I rely on, like I said. Sometimes it's never quite enough. One thing I find fascinating about that track perfect and it illustrates perhaps why the album has endured so long is when I first heard it and I know there are differing interpretations about what it's about but I kind of took it about I took it as a song about you know parents who are maybe pushing their kids too hard and you, you and you, you and I, I, I thought of myself you know maybe being pushed too hard in certain ways and now as a parent myself I think, oh my gosh, Alanis nailed it. She nailed me. She knows what I'm doing to my kids and things I shouldn't be doing. I've got to watch myself more. You, you sort of shift perspective on it over the years. And it's it's a rare kind yeah. of song or artwork that does that to you, where you see it different ways in different stages of your life. Thanks. Yeah, I've always enjoyed writing that way from different lenses. Like I, There's some songs where it'll be a dialogue of sorts, so I'm writing... The, the whole dialogue from someone else's perspective and mine. And I think that's it's such a liberating way to, for me, not only as an artist to write, but also to live, you know, to see other people's perspectives and mine while things are happening in real time. But yes, that, that one was coming from, you know, my 10-year-old self when I initially wrote it. And then now I, I think about it as a parent as well in a similar way you just described, because that perfectionism and this American plight of, you know, win-lose and first place and this obsession with perfection and power over and 
you know, I just feel like we, we lost we lost the plot a little while ago, and I, we're missing out on the, the joy of what it is to be alive, you know, by having the win-win, by realizing that our innate birth is the same regardless of how further along we are with intelligence or outcomes or whatever it is. What I find fascinating is you were around 19 years old when the process began turning 20. Where did you draw from to have the perspective to write some of these songs that seem so adult, so worked out, so well thought out, especially when you sort of examine them over the perspective with, with the um, with the help of time? Yeah, I mean, thankfully, they're timeless to the point where I can actually perform them now without cringing. Because <laughs> if there were songs that I'd written then and I couldn't relate to them now, there's just no way I could perform them. But thankfully, that's not the case. Um, I think I... I had been told at the time when I was younger that I was an old soul, but a lot of it, I think, had to do with my role in my family and, and the role that I took on, which was that of, you know, family therapist. My my temperament and everything just led me to be very observant and very sensitive and very intuitive. And I think that's what that's what makes an artist, I suppose, the, the being able to go within and look around the interior world and, and make comments on what I see in relationships and all around me and you know, default social commentary. I think artists are social commentators whether we want to be or not. Friends, this new, new release of Jagged Little Pill is a collector's edition. It's a four-disc set. It includes a 2015 remaster, 10 previously unreleased demos, an acoustic disc, mm-hmm. a live disc. And what I find interesting also is you have these 10 previously unreleased demos, and one of those demos is the first song you wrote together with Glenn Ballard upon meeting him, The Bottom Line. Can you paint the mm-hmm. picture for me about what that session was like recording this song within an hour of meeting him? Yeah, I had been set up, so to speak, on blind dates with different songwriters, both in Canada and Los Angeles. And really it was with an eye toward, on my end, it was with an eye toward wanting to sit across from someone who didn't have... A, an agenda of their own as much as an openness to see what, you know, what we could create together, like one plus one equaling five, you know? So I'd work with people who perhaps didn't like that I wasn't rhyming or the subject matter was a little too intense for them or musically we weren't gelling, you know? So when, when Kurt Denny at MCA publishing said, Hey, I think you and Glenn Ballard might like each other. I don't know if you'll write anything, but let's see if you guys might get along. So I went to his house and we hit it off immediately, both sort of philosophizing and, and, and chatting about things we were both passionate about. And then once we went into the studio, we wrote the bottom line in about 20 minutes. It was really effortless. And I didn't feel him imposing his agenda so much as, as leaving space for me to emerge as a writer. And it was just really a feminist, um, respectful, artistic interaction. It was it was like I arrived home in a way. And another previously unreleased song on this collection is Superstar Wonderful Weirdos. Tell me a bit about the recording of that track and why that didn't make the cut, because there's a lot of feedback on that, that that's, that's a really good song, and people are wondering, well, why didn't we hear this before? Um... <clears throat> It was a sweet, for me, it was a sweet song about my friends and I, you know, because we'd been shamed and laughed at for being so um, perhaps unique was the word of the time. You know, we were often misunderstood and we were so sensitive and, and attempting to make commentary on so many different aspects of 
of life in a way that was unusual for some of our more conservative teachers or whatever it was. And so I just had a lot of empathy for, for those of us who were relegated into being laughed at or judged or shamed. So I wrote that song, but um, I was still writing lyrics with Glenn at that time. And there was something about catapulting into it being hyper autobiographical that, that started creating Jagged Little Pill. So once I was in that mode, we just kept going. I mean, I love all the demos that, that are on this deluxe 20th anniversary edition. Um, it just, they didn't fit for whatever reason at the time. Not that long ago, you performed one of the standout tracks from this album, You Ought to Know, with Taylor Swift. What was that interaction like? Because in some ways, she's going through some of what you went through 20 years ago. She's in the red-hot spotlight. She has huge hit albums. She had success from an early age, and now she's you know, uh, an adult woman doing all these things. What did you two talk about? Um, well, the limited time we had together, it was, you know, it was a, it was a big tip of the hat for me. I just felt like we had a moment of, of realizing that we'd had similar experiences, which is, which is a rare, you know, a rare, a rare moment with the unique experiences that both she and I have had to meet someone and stand across from them and think, God, you might actually be able to relate to what I'm going through, contrary to most of my interactions. Um, so it was a, there was a sweetness there and a, a validation. You know, we just vented for all of, you know, 20 seconds about various things that we both related to and had a good laugh about it. And um, she was very honoring. And it was lovely because in so many ways, I think I felt like it was a moment of linking generations. You know, like the idea of when You Ought to Know was first being released 20 years ago, radio stations would say, we can't play this song because we're already playing one female artist. We're playing Tori Amos or we're playing Sinead O'Connor. You know, and then once Jagged Little Pill was released and You Ought to Know was was, was um, welcomed in the way that it was, all of a sudden, quote-unquote, female artists being bankable changed so many things. And now, 20 years later, I don't think that patriarchal comment would ever be made. You know, like if they hear a good song, it's a good song. And, you know, it doesn't even matter what gender the artist is. So, so thankfully, things have changed. And in a sweet way, Taylor was very honoring of, of that in me. So it was great. You know, this is line from Citizen Kane that doesn't quite fit here, but I'm going to read it anyways, and I'll sort of tell you what my point is, um, where mm-hmm. the character says, if I hadn't been very rich, I might have been a really great man. And I'm wondering <laughs> how much the success, the overwhelming success of Jagged Little Pill affected you as an artist, because part of what an artist does is um, she observes things around her and she funnels them into her art. And because she became so famous so young, I'm wondering if that had interfered with your artistic process and your ability to observe life and then process it into your work. I think that's just such a brilliant question. Thank you for asking that. Um, that was one of my challenges, you know, part of why after Jagged Little Pill, you know, record companies, everybody just wanted me to repeat myself, you know, and to chase to chase the repetition of Jagged Little Pill. And it was the idea of that was horrifying to me because I wanted to evolve and have those evolution moments captured in music. And I also was the observer. You know, I don't know if you follow the Enneagram at all, but um, I'm a four. (laughs) 
with a five wing. And so like one of my temperamental qualities is to observe, like you just mentioned, I think artists do that really well. And because I was recognized everywhere I went, all of a sudden I became the one that was being, I say observed in quotes, because most people didn't see me at all, but they saw some celebrity face they recognized. But so the tables turned in a way that I did not appreciate and I was horrified. So I went to India and I really rethought everything. And I thought, I just want to be an artist and a writer and a generator of art and commentary. And I'm going to do whatever I have to do to make sure I can keep doing this while being unrecognizable. So I hid a lot. You know, I hid (laughs) whether it was in homes or by traveling or by, you know, cutting my hair or whatever it was. I just wanted to hide so that I could keep watching humanity and watching myself. So thankfully I was able to do that. And I took a different route perhaps than some other artists who who continue to chase certain things to keep the fame sustained. I just wanted to keep the observation sustained. And I, I just think that was really astute of you to ask that question. Thank you. Well, we're going to take a break for a second and be right back with more from Alanis Morissette. Spend lots of time on your device? Then spend some of that time with us. WSJ Podcasts, the sound of success. Now, updates on arts and entertainment. Interviews with celebrities and marquee guests. This is WSJ Speakeasy. An old friend sends you a Facebook request. You only find out the racist after you accept. Now, Alanis, you recently sang an updated version of Ironic with James Corden, which I found interesting for a couple reasons. One, because the new version included a lot of updated things like Uber and Twitter and Facebook and references towards those things that have come around since that song was first released. But it also um, sort of provided some insight into why the song and the album have endured for so long, because there aren't all those kinds of time-bound references. There's one song you have on the previously unreleased tracks that makes reference to Cindy Crawford, but on the main album, they're not references like that. Was that something you were conscious of when you were making the album, that you didn't want to have references that would bind it in time to a certain decade or year? Um, yeah, I think there's something to be said for creating a piece of art that that doesn't bind it in that way. Um, although Cindy Crawford is timeless to me. but um, <laughs> Well, she is. You're right. Um, but still, yeah, she is associated but, with a certain um, period. But still, no, I know what you mean. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm not sure I was wildly conscious about it, to be honest, but I do like... I do like the idea of creating a template or a story and inviting people in to personalize it and to make it their own. So if I overly color in all the uh, the black and white spots, then it doesn't leave room for people to make it their own. So so while I'm a huge fan of, I think it's obvious, of, of writing autobiographically and 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 using the part, the artistic process to move energy and to have the catharsis that it promises. At the same time, once I share it, it's no longer mine. So to that end, I think the less references that bind something to an era leaves room for that song to be used in all its wonder for however long that it will be. Well, it's also interesting, by making all those references in that sort of humorous version you did of Ironic with James Corden, it also spoke to the fact that music and technology have changed a lot since 1995. And I'm wondering... Mm -hmm. Are mega albums like Jagged Little Pill even possible today in today's atmosphere um, of of streaming and downloading? Um, 
And do you think that there's the, the, the focus on the album as an art form, you know, of you know, 12 tracks of part of a package, has that faded mm-hmm. somewhat? And so people aren't sort of focused on creating works like you did with Jagged Little Pill. Yeah, I think I think there's more of an onus on singles and songs marking um, periods of time or being the snapshot for a particular era versus a record. You know, whereas someone might reference the bands, like someone might reference a Radiohead um, record or my record or you know a Beatles record or anybody's record, frankly, from let's say 2000s prior. And it's the record, like like you just mentioned, it's the record that someone thinks of. Whereas now people will think of singles, you know, so it's a little bit more piecemeal. I've even noticed that about article writing. Like when I would write articles, it would be perfectly appropriate to submit something 20 years ago that was 3,000 words. And now people want 500 words or less, you know, so everything has, there's more honest on things being pithy and distilled and to the point. <laughs> on some level, I do appreciate that. On another level, I think there's a there's a there's a pace that is different now you know i I like the slow sometimes measured um super hyper present pace that that the nineties and that whole era basically begged of us if we were to going to dive into an artist's work. This was a commitment you know it was like i'm going to take an hour and a half i'm going to pour myself a cup of tea and i'm going to dive into this record you know whereas now it's you spend your 99 cents and you hear the song over and over again and, and maybe you listen to the whole record, but there's a high likelihood you don't, you know. So it's just a different world post-digital era. I remember when the digital world came into the fray, everything changed um, and things just got a little bit quicker, a little bit faster paced. The editing and music videos got faster. Um, the attention duration just got shorter, you know, and I do think there's pros and cons to that to the degree that it allows people to get to the point uh, more quickly. I appreciate. I also wonder if you think the music industry as currently constituted allows people to have kind of a, a second act as you did, because of course you've released a couple albums as an underage artist first before remaking yourself for Jagged Little Pill and having this mature career. And could mm-hmm. that happen today, or is it sort of one shot and you're done, move on? Well, <clears throat> I don't know. I think we'll be able to have a, a conversation around this well, have an actual answer probably in 20 years, because the big question is, are artists of today insured a 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 year long career in the way that, you know, Mick Jagger has been, or you know, there's still patriarchy with all of it. I just, I wonder where all the artists, the female artists are, you know, that maybe they're not chasing it as much as, as men have been, or maybe it's, you know, I have a lot of philosophical thoughts. On it. I'm writing it in my book, by the way. <laughs> I'm like trying to keep everything pithy right now. But um, I have a lot of thoughts about the, the males and females in the music industry, certainly. But in terms of longevity, I like to think that if you just keep making art, there will be some degree of it that will be public and some that will be less public and more private. And if writing is an imperative, if being an artist is an imperative, then wanting to make it public is a lovely enough incentive. But whether it's made public or not, you know, for me, if I don't write, I get instantly depressed. So I have to write an article or do a keynote talk or do a podcast or write a song um, almost every day. If I'm if I'm not to spiral downward into a pit of despair, to be to be transparent. Now I've also read that you were 
that you had a stage version of Jagged Little Pill in the works. What's the status mm-hmm. of that right now? Is it still going to happen? Can we still expect to see that on Broadway or off-Broadway at some point? Yeah, I'm still committed to the idea that there were so many other things that were happening prior to that being able to um, to to jumpstart. So I basically am very committed to it, and I'm open to it happening. And um, we have some names that are attached that I'm deeply passionate about, but I'm not in a position to speak about quite yet. Um, and and before that happened, I wanted to make sure that I finished my book, which I'm in the middle of finishing, and wanted to reinvigorate my website and start a podcast. So all of these amazing dreams have come true for me to the point where I'm I'm going to be able to clear my whole bandwidth up to, to do the musical if that's to happen, but I'm really open to it. And tell me a bit about the book. Is it a memoir? Is it a novel? Is it a look at the, the time period where you wrote Jack Little Pill or your entire career? What is the book about? Give me give me some uh, some insight into that. Yeah, it's 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 a kind of braided narrative. So there's tons of memoir esque autobiographical stories from the time that I was born up until this very moment that we're speaking right now. So it covers my whole lifetime. Lord knows one book could possibly tell someone's entire life. So they're just pieces of of and snapshots of different periods of time my perspective on, on everything that's been going on, including the whole era of Jagged Little Pill and many of the stories behind what was going on. Um, but then also what I like to think are the hard-won wisdoms that I've, that I've gotten to. And I've also been a very semi-secretive, private, academic, geeky girl who has always got my, my nose buried in books and coming up with new updated theories on psychology and, and just diving into the neurobiological social, relational world. You know, I've been obsessed with it since before I could even speak. So I used to think I had to relegate that and just focus on being a rock and roll star. Whereas now this is an era of more integration, speaking of why modern times are, are different and why in this case it might it might be a positive aspect of that. I feel more inspired now to be everything that I was born to be, which is a philosopher and very psychologically inclined, very artistically inclined, relationally inclined. And now they're blending all together in my career in a way that is very satisfying for me. Now, of course, when people listen to Jagged Little Pill, a lot of people describe the music as being very healing for them. I've heard you say in interviews that the music may be healing for others, but not necessarily for you. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, I, I naively thought that I could avoid human interaction and I could run into a, a dark, quiet, solitary studio and write a song and that would absolve me of, of the interaction. It would clear up the unrest in the relationships and, and it didn't do that. It created an incredible opportunity for catharsis and movement of energy, so to speak, but it, it didn't heal the relationships. And unfortunately and fortunately, I had to actually apply the courage it took to write the songs toward actually talking to humans. <laughs> so now I can do both. Now I can enjoy the catharsis that it is to write a song, but at the same time know that if I want real healing, I actually have to engage in relationships. But now that 20 years has passed, um, I'm wondering, do you now listen to it as more of a fan and it almost feels like uh, the, the, the Alanis of 20 years ago is affecting you the way it would uh, she would affect does any other person who's listening to the music in a very healing kind of cathartic kind of way? Yeah, that's that's always been um, 
the case for me the whole way over over the last 30 years, to be honest, but especially over the last 20, um, where I'll listen to a song and I don't recall having written it just merely because of the fact that the song felt channeled and I often won't remember writing it even even the next day. So I'll listen to these songs and I will enjoy them with some semblance of objectivity to the point where it will touch me and move me and inspire me and comfort me in a way that I perhaps was offering to other people. So I'm really grateful for that. It's almost like my 20 year old, my 20 years ago self was singing to my 41 year old self today. And it's, um, it's really touching actually. Well, the album is the Jagged Little Pill Collector's Edition for this set. Alanis Morissette, thanks for talking to the Wall Street Journal. Thank you so much for having me and your great questions. I appreciate it. I appreciate I appreciate you um, creating this album. Yeah, okay, you got it. It's like rain.